I'll let you in on a little secret. Reaching your revenue goal won't change your life, but hitting your profit goal, that absolutely will. If you want to build a life-first business this year, you need to create more margin, both in your finances and in your schedule. If you're ready to double down on profit-generating strategies that actually work so you can work four-day weeks, go on real vacations, or even take the summers off, you won't want to miss this. In my free masterclass, Double Your Profit While Working Less, you'll learn exactly how to set your business up to scale so you can give yourself a raise, create a clear plan for how to work that dream schedule, and step into your CEO era, the one where you and your business aren't just surviving, but thriving. You can grab this free masterclass at www.jadeboyd.co backslash double your profit masterclass or go to the link in the show notes. Now back to the show. Don't keep wedging yourself into someone else's plan if you're like, this is stressing me out. A little permission. Dial it back to what might work for your new phase. Welcome to the Business Minimalist Podcast, a podcast about redefining productivity for the modern woman in business and finding ways to work smarter, not harder in business and life. I'm your host, Jade Boyd. I'm an MBA business strategist and mentor who helps overwhelmed business owners simplify and scale their service-based businesses with strategy and systems. On this podcast, we'll explore simple ways to earn more while working less. If you're ready to scale your business, bring order to chaos, ditch the busy work, and make space for what really matters, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Business Minimalist Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Rebecca. Hello. Thank you for having me. This is going to be fun. Yes. We just did a podcast interview last week where I was on your podcast. And I'm glad that that happened first because now I have so many more questions about your background. (laughs) So I do want to start off. You said that you've been in business for 17 years, which the landscape 17 years ago for women in entrepreneurship Mm. looked much different. So I definitely want to start with introduce yourself and what you do, but I really Mm -hmm. want to know more about how your journey looked getting started in entrepreneurship. Oh my gosh. That is a great question. Well, first of all, I am a wife. I'm a mother of four. I'm a fun designer, (laughs) not stuffy. And um, I'm an author and I'm a podcaster and I also get to be a coach. So I hold many different roles and all of them are awesome and amazing, but I would say they're not all run at once. So if you already glazed over, I don't run them all at once, but I do have a really good time picking up new roles or kind of navigating what it looks like to run the roles in different stages of life. And we live here in South Dakota and we farm and ranch. And that's a whole nother awesome role that I feel like I'm getting to be a little bit more part of things as I beg my husband to let me do chores with him. It's a little bit like behaving like a kid's sister. Mm-hmm. He's like, are you sure? I'm like, yes, please. But he still doesn't let me touch anything because I'm clearly like an 11 year old kid sister. <laughs> that's so funny. Like, one of my goals as I reflect, I'm like, okay, 17 years ago, like I want to be a farmhand. So I wrote that as one of my roles this year that I'm like, let me be a farmhand. But it, I think it's going to be a little bit slower than I anticipated. <laughs> That's so funny. I grew up on a farm and I was very indoorsy. So I had the exact opposite experience. Like, oh. I don't want to touch anything. I just want to stay inside. I don't need to shower twice a day. <laughs> Really? And so I grew up on a ranch in West River, South Dakota, and we were out in the dirt all day long and riding and roping and all the things. So I'm qualified. It's just been a minute. So I think my excitement is what he's like, okay, dial it back. (laughs) So that's what I'm managing. And that's what I'm about right now. So how did all of that get started then? When did you get the entrepreneurial itch? Was it a hobby before you turned it into a business or what did that look like for you? 
Well, for me, and I think this is different for everybody, but I really think, maybe it's not different. I kind of think you either have an entrepreneurial innate feeling when you were little and then some because thankfully all the resources that are out there now you can become one without having this innate feeling but for me personally like I was selling anything I was sewing on the playground in fourth grade my mom is a master seamstress so I'd watch her sew and I started sewing at the age of four I just begged and begged and begged her like please let me use the machine and she kept saying honey you're just too young so I took a stapler and Kleenexes pretending the Kleenexes were my fabric and then stapled them together as if the stapler was a sewing machine so she was That's like, awesome. okay, first of all, you're wasting all my money on Kleenexes. <laughs> I will get you a machine. And so for me, it, it just like, I made something that I wanted to share. And then I was like, well, now I want to sell it so that I can buy more of it. And so I was selling stuff in fourth grade. And then I was still like kind of doing little entrepreneur things throughout high school. I was a big 4-H'er. Raise your hand if you love 4-H. It's an entrepreneur program, not an agricultural program. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I did 4-H and I loved being judged and finding out how well I did and getting critique and getting the feedback. And then I've always just tried to do more than what the job required, not because I'm an overachiever, I think probably because I was bored. So I worked in radio and I was like, uh, you guys need your walls repainted. Can I paint your walls? I'm like, sure. So they paid me to do that. And I was like, looks like you guys need a janitor. Like I was always trying to like side hustle something on top of what I was doing. So that is a little bit of how I operate is like seeing how things need to improve or getting bored and being like, well, I can do that. Let's see what that experience is like. And so I did that throughout college. And then when we were poor newlyweds in college, uh, didn't know what I do for Christmas gifts, but gift giving is a big part of my heart. And my family does a big Christmas and I have lots of cousins and uncles. And anyways, so I decided that I would make purses because I love purses myself. Like you can wear a gray V-neck t-shirt, but if you have a great bag on, they're like, oh, Oh, hey. So Mm -hmm. to me, purses are just a big like statement piece. And so I sewed some purses and then they took off and I started getting, I mean, took off is a mass exaggeration. Everyone, it doesn't happen like that, (laughs) but I got a few orders and I thought, well, this is kind of fun. And then the light bulb went off because I was working in radio and it still wasn't creative enough. And this was a bigger corporation. So they weren't like, no, you can't be our janitor. And no, you can't paint our walls. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, you mean I just have to sit here in this cubicle and mousetrap and do this? And I was like, I'm, I'm going to wither away. So I was doing this as a side thing and then staying up till two in the morning, sewing these purses. And then I thought, man, I want to have children and I want to have a lot of them, I think. So I need to get this up and going. So I just kept working on the side until I got it up to where I thought it could sustain itself, which by the way, was a whole year early. I like dive bombed after I decided to quit Mm. my full time. But anyways, uh, then got it up and going. And thankfully now, 17 years later, I have 20 on my team. So we can still keep up and Becca can still keep getting turned on by other things. Like, ooh, let's try this. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a little bit of it. But don't ever think like the, you know, the rest is history. Th- that sentence never applies because there's so much in that little window of the rest is history that I think is so unfair to say. Because it's like, yeah. like, there's a lot that unpack there. Yeah. Which is what you're asking sure. about. Like, okay. And it was, like you said, it was a total different landscape. My whole family, including my grandmas, were like, oh, honey, the purses are a fad. They need to match your shoes. <laughs> that, that's so cute that you're doing that little 4-H thing. Mm. But you still have your degree, right? <laughs> right. You have a backup plan, right? <laughs> right. Oh, that's fun. You can do some little craft shows with your kids. And then when they're in school, then you can go back to doing your degree, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. A part of it was I wanted to prove everybody wrong. I was like, no, I'm going to make this. I'm going to do this. 
So how long do you think it took for you after starting your business? It sounds like it was mm-hmm. a little bit rocky at first, so I'm sure it kept mm-hmm. you busy and engaged and on your toes creatively. But now yes. your business has evolved into so many different avenues, like you said, the podcast mm-hmm. and writing a book and coaching. So mm-hmm. what has it looked like as somebody who obviously believes in priorities and knowing mm-hmm. and naming what's important to also mm-hmm. be a multi-passionate creative. How have you balanced those two things throughout your career? Well, like I said, I have lots of children. So a lot of it is reevaluating the priority thing. So I say priority is I'm servant of God first. How can I serve him? Then I'm a wife and then I'm a mother. And then the last thing is all these fun endeavors. And so when I take anything on, I reference like, am I serving God by doing this? Or is this just my own ego? Mm-hmm. And then asking Nick, which is sometimes admittedly like asking the principal, like, hey, can I do that? And he's got a very clear take on like, well, tell me when you're going to do it, honey. And then I'm like, I think I have some time in here. He's like, all right, let's talk about this and pray about it. But he's really also very encouraging because he knows I'll just spin in place if I don't get to try it, at least a mm-hmm. little bit of it. And then asking my children like, hey, does this work with their new stage, whatever it is. Like there's some things I didn't start when they were newborns because that's ridiculous. It wouldn't work like that, but maybe I could do like 1% of it. So for example, I didn't write my book until my youngest was at least potty trained because I knew like, it's going to take me getting up extra early to write this book. So that's a, Mm -hmm. a small example of how I've started them, but how I've done most of the brands. So I have a purse brand, a genuine leather brand, and then this podcast, the book and the coaching is I did all of them at like 1% starting. So if I got interested in something, and the podcast was because all of my people that I would sell to at the craft shows kept saying like, how are you doing this? Did you say you have four kids and you farm and ranch and you have how many on your team? And I would tell them, but you can't tell somebody the depth of it in three to four minutes and still sell them a purse. So I was like, you know what? I'll record because I have some radio background. I'll record a podcast. And this was before we all had awesome podcasts. And so that was just 1% in it. Like, I'll just write down the systems that I'm using and I'll record it on a podcast. And so that's how that started. And then as I started to love that and felt like it was really serving people, then I wrote the book. So they all kind of graduated into the next level, but sometimes only at 1%, sometimes Mm -hmm. at 10%. And then other seasons, I was like, pause everything in the purse world. Just keep it absolutely running like a smooth machine as much as possible. I need six weeks to amp up my encourager brand, I've got an idea. Mm-hmm. So have there been seasons where you felt frustrated by that? Because yes. I think as women, mm-hmm. especially in the world we live in, it's hard to come to terms with the fact that mm-hmm. we can't do everything. And I think that our culture loves yes. to tell us like, no, you can do anything that you want to. But in reality, mm-hmm. trying to force ourselves to give 100% to everything, it's exhausting yeah. and we can't do yeah. it. But at the same time, we're very mm-hmm. passionate about our businesses. Mm-hmm. But having mm-hmm. priorities and prioritizing your family and your marriage and your faith, it means you run business differently. So I'm just curious throughout your journey, what has navigating that almost like that trade-off looked like for you? Mm -hmm. Well, I would say the frustration is real. And we have things like 17 years ago that were against me that aren't anymore because we can do these teeny tiny baby steps. I call it the one percenting it. And so when I've been frustrated, I've just been like, oh, give me a minute to figure out what I can do that will actually move the ball forward rather than just stagnantly moving it. And so, for example, with the podcast, recording all these episodes and feeling like still like people just kept still asking, like, 
can I have more? Can I have a more tangible form? And, you know, I was thinking, no, you can't have a more tangible form right mm-hmm. now because I can't write the book because of my family situation right now. However, I could do a day with Becca is what we called it. And I invited people in for a price to my home and I would help coach them on their systems for that day. So I could commit to just that day. Those were so much fun. Oh my gosh, so much fun. Because it filled my cup of wanting to serve and help these women and tell them you can do it all. You just can't do it all at once. And like mm-hmm. helping them say no to things like, nah, honey, you just told me all the roles. I really don't think this is going to happen yet. But let's break down what you could be working on right now. And so, yes, when I met frustrations and still meet them with all the awesome ideas I have in my head, but I go, okay, but what tiny step or medium step can I take right now to keep moving this forward? There are less barriers now, I think, than there were. However, social media is its own huge rock, if you will, because we didn't have to create content as much as we did when I first started. It was like, oh, great. Now I have to video everything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that, and about five years ago, I had to get really, really real with myself that If I wanted things to grow, I had to accept that social media was not going anywhere. Like you, I had to play the social media game. And so that was talking to myself about how do I hire somebody to help me with it? Like I knew I could create the content because I don't mind a camera and I don't mind a microphone. I don't mind live, but I didn't want to do all the technical stuff of it. Mm -hmm. So how can I rearrange to make room for an income or for, yeah, to be able to pay this person? Yeah. So I'm sure that your systems when you first started look very different from the systems that you're using today. But generally, like you just mentioned, people from the beginning, the day with Rebecca, they want Mm -hmm. access to your systems because the main question is, how are you doing all of this? And so Mm -hmm. what are the systems that you teach and what has your journey looked like developing those systems? Is it just something that you've always been naturally gifted in or did that take a learning curve? Definitely took a learning curve. And I would say this, I actually work pretty much the same systems. That's how evergreen they are. They just work with whatever stage you're taking on. And so I'd start by saying there's five systems. Your me system, which is basically self-care. How are you taking care of yourself and filling your cup up? Then there's the food system. How are you going to feed everybody, including yourself? It's answering the question, what's for supper? which takes up way too much mental bandwidth. Then it's the work system, answering the questions, who, what, when, where, and why. Like sometimes we just, we like, where do I work? And they're like, I work for my dining room table. Like we don't even take the time to like answer the questions for our work system. And then there's the home system, which is one of my favorite because I love DIY and all of that. Like, let's talk about your home and how do you want to run your home? How do you, how do you want to do your laundry? When are you going to do your laundry? And then there's the family system. And that's just answering the question, what kind of legacy do I want to live? And what kind of legacy do I want to leave? So I think we all operate in these systems. We already are. Like, as you're listening, you're like, oh, yeah, okay. And then what I help people do is like when they're feeling chaotic and they're like, oh, my gosh, everything is on fire or I'm really, really frustrated. Let's dial into what area are you most frustrated with? If I started asking the right questions, is it because you've served takeout for the third night in a row and that annoys you? Mm. Or is it because you are so burnt out, you don't even know what you like anymore? Like you couldn't even say if you like tea or sweet tea, like you're just so burnt out. So we need to take a look at your me system and figure out how to build you up. Or it could be the work system where they're like, I'm trying to fit in 70 hours, but I've never timed it. And I can't figure out why I can't get everything done. Right. (laughs) You're working 70 hours and you have three children. Like we need to dial this back into a manageable thing. And so for me also with developing these, 
I would just keep going back when I started to get frustrated myself. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so, um, so there was a period when I was malnourished. I was grieving my oldest brother's death by suicide in 2014. Mm. And it was very difficult. We're very close. I have uh, three siblings, very close, including a twin sister. And I wanted to just like outwork the grief. I thought that might be a good method. <laughs> Turns out you can't do that, everyone. Do not do that. And so my husband politely gave me the nicest hug and was like, hey, we got to dial things back. Like you are withering away, losing hair, malnourished, like couldn't figure out why things weren't functioning in my body the, the way they normally would, losing weight. And it could be the opposite, you know, for some permission on gaining weight and all the things. So anyways, that was a period where I was like, I have to dial everything back. So I actually paused the podcast for, I think, 15 months, like just no more podcasting for a while. I also needed to spend the energy healing my family too. I wanted to be a better daughter and a better sister so that we could grieve together. Great decision. Didn't know it at the time, but great decision. We're still extra tight now and it could be the reverse of that. So as I did these systems, I have waves in my life, just like everybody listening here. And they're like, oh, I have some waves that I need to be honest with about as well. And so they have evolved. You know, my me system is much better now that I don't have toddlers. I'm like, hey, mm -hmm. I'm the fittest I've probably ever been because I can spend more time on that. What's important to me. My food system is a little more loose than it was when they were little because we're on the run so much. And that bothers me because of my like Midwest ranch wife mentality where we need to be sitting at this table, but that's the stage. So how can I still create these little dinner moments in the car on the way to practice? <laughs> yep. Like, if, it's a, if it's a homemade Rice Krispie bar and that makes me feel good, fine. Just make sure you make the time to make the homemade one. And then somehow I feel like I'm filling them up as if it's lasagna at the table. So yeah, they've evolved with me. But when I'm struggling with something, I go back to like, what of these systems feels so broke right now? Why mm -hmm. am I so frustrated or chaotic? Thanks so much for sharing that. I think what you said reminded me of this concept that we often like to deal with the symptoms instead of dealing with the actual problem. And sometimes the easiest things to recognize, mm -hmm. if you try to fix them, it's not actually going to solve your problem. The problem is going to pop up. Right in a different way. So I think it's really interesting what you just talked about, just diagnosing mm -hmm. what is the actual problem, because it might not mm -hmm. be laundry or it might not be what's for dinner. No. It might be something completely mm -hmm. different. And that means the solution is completely different. But it just reminded yes. me like this symptom of busyness in our lives. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we mm -hmm. think we know what the problem is, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. unless you actually take the time to think about, okay, what's going on here? How am I doing mm -hmm. What is mm -hmm. actually bothering me? Why is it feeling like this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We come to the wrong mm -hmm. solutions all the time and then are like, wow, why didn't that work? <laughs> yeah. And and the truth is too, and permission is that taking away things sometimes is the best answer mm -hmm. or it might be adding things in like a walk with a friend to work through some grief or to work through some like friend therapy type stuff. So permission that it, sometimes it's dialing it back and sometimes it's adding a key piece in a system that's like, oh, I just needed a girlfriend. <laughs> like, yeah. I just, I just needed a friend. Yeah. Yeah. Like take the time and then allowing yourself the time to go to diagnose, like you said, to make sure you're solving the underlying issue and not just getting the next thing, <laughs> Yeah, which I, I believe. And I also like to say this too, when people are listening, they're like, wow. She is managing a lot. I do have an abnormal amount of energy and adrenaline. I don't know. God gave it to me and I love it. So thank you very much. But 
I, but I actually spend a lot of time walking on the gravel roads with the kids. That's super important to me. Shut off my machines at 6 p.m. Usually my teammates don't reach out to me unless they need like a thread color or leather. But I've set up boundaries within these roles too to just be like, okay, they know me very well because I've been able to be honest. Like I'm actually an introvert, you guys. So you'll see me dial back and you're like, oh, it's time to go. <laughs> yeah. So we specifically, I've never had somebody on the podcast to talk about food systems. So I do want to dial oh. in and dig deeper into the food system because it is a problem that comes up three times a day, <laughs> more than that, yes. if you're counting oh. snacks. And so mm -hmm. I want to know how do busy women, entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. even start mm -hmm. to create a food system? What are your best tips and tricks? Oh. And you mentioned you have two top tips when it comes to food systems. I do. First of all, you guys, disclaimer, I am not a foodie. You know the expression, do you live to eat or eat to live? I definitely eat to live. If there was a shot that I could take in my arm or a plain biscuit, I would do it every day. <laughs> like the meals in a can. Yes. Like, do, do we have to eat? Is it really? But I don't even want to do that because I don't want to even chew. I'm like, I got more important things to do. So <laughs> with that disclaimer in place, I do have a large family and they do need to eat. And of course, this season, my oldest needs to gain weight for football. And I was like, oh, great. So I had to dial in my food system to go, okay, how am I going to feed everybody? My top two tips, and I'll tell you a little bit more, is this. Make your food decisions early in the morning. Or if you're awesome, this I wouldn't even say if you're awesome, but if food is your thing, you're like, what? I make a monthly food plan? Oh my gosh, good for you. And will you please share your things with your friends who aren't like that? Because we need it, okay? But I make all of my food decisions by 7.30 a.m. This works in the school year. And for me, it also works in the summer. Because then I never ask at 12, 1, 2, 30, 4, 30, and 5, what's for supper? I don't have to use the mental bandwidth. I create for a living. So I need every last creative energy to be spent on creating. And I don't want it to be food in my life. So uh, make the decisions early and prep anything that you can. I'm including, like, for example, we have guests that I didn't plan on. And I was like, I now need lunch, snack, and supper so we don't snack ourselves to death during the day. So I put out the refried beans. I got the beef out. We're going to have tacos tonight. I got the tortillas out made the list for what to pick up. And I asked my oldest daughter to shred the cheese. So everything that could be done in advance is done. And then when I go to serve them tonight, it'll be easy because we've got a boatload of kids together and it'll be fun. Uh, so make your decisions early in the day so you don't keep spending mental bandwidth asking it throughout the day. I like this concept for a lot of reasons, but because this is the Business Minimalist podcast, I have to point out that Yes. One of the huge benefits of minimalism is that you're not constantly making decisions. You kind of set up those filters oh. for yeses and no. And I love this principle because like you said, instead of deciding five times a day, what should we have for supper? You're deciding once and then you're not thinking about it again. It's like putting on a uniform or like a capsule wardrobe. You decide what your style is yes. and then you never think about it again. That's it. Unless something big changes. <laughs> right. And here's the truth. If you're like, ah, I don't ask myself, I want you to tally. Just tally on your phone or on a piece of paper every time you say, oh, what are we going to eat? And you will be shocked at the amount of times. I, I could go on and on about tally marks. They're my favorite like note of what's actually going on. But So make your decisions early. And I did make our decisions for lunch, snack, and supper. Now, snack, if you're glazing over, you're like, woman, I don't. Don't. That's not your thing. I have hungry kids, I think, because we farm. And they run around all day. They're very mm -hmm. rarely on screens. I got blessed with that. It's not necessarily something I orchestrated but they are like ravenous. So I do plan like a hearty snack. And also because I love baking because of my 4-H background. So that's us. What would that be for your family? So make it unique to your family. Also, the decision at 7.30 may be we're going out to eat. Done. 
that's it. You can make that decision or you're going to take out. Fine. Make that decision. Like, but make the decision so you're not asking it. And then my second tip is this is do not lie to yourself about how long the food prep or food making takes because we like to like, oh, it'll be a quick thing. The first thing I look at on a recipe is total time. You know how they have that on Pinterest? It'll be like, here's your ingredients. Here's your directions. And here's your total time. Mm-hmm. I check the total time first. I'm like, I, I am not a skillet family meal because a skillet meal, like sometimes they say 20 minutes. I'm like a liar. It's probably a 45 minutes. So I actually also time it next to it to be like, is this actually true? Or is this gal like gal or guy lying about this recipe prep time? Mm-hmm. So I'm just very hyper aware of how long things take because of our lifestyle. So if it backs you up by 20 minutes, then you feel chaotic. You feel frustrated because you can't get to the laundry. Or you can't get to the homework because the meal lied to you. <laughs> how long yeah. it would take. And so my second tip is don't lie to yourself about how long things take to make. That way, if I still want to do a roast, I may not do the two hour version of the roast in the oven, but I may do the crockpot version because I can do it earlier in the day based mm-hmm. on what works for my family. So just always look at the amount of time you have for supper. And again, permission, if you love, this is like your creative time and you like pour yourself a glass of whatever, and this is like your thing. Great. But you may need to start at 4.30. You may not right. be honest about how long this takes or maybe five o'clock, but just don't lie about the amount of time it takes because it ends up making us feel grumpy about it. I too, like if you time how long, which I've done, which is a little bit silly, how long it takes your family to eat. It's like 10 minutes. tops. Yeah. How to me, that's my like food, like what? 10 minutes of that creation that took maybe two hours is gone right. in 10 minutes. <laughs> I, I'm like aspiring to be the grandma that makes something that lasts longer and I will still love it. But at this stage of life, I'm like, gosh, this is a frustrating system. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And outside of that, do you have like a meal planning system other than every day deciding what's for dinner? Yeah. What does it look like to actually stock the fridge? I do. Okay. So fun fact, I don't have a planner. I have an agenda sheet for the week. And I think yours is similar, Jade. Like I plan for the week. And so then I put the food on Sunday evenings. I put the lunch, snack and supper there. So then at 7.30, I'm actually just pulling out the ingredients for the decisions I made on Sunday. Uh, okay. So that's that's the meal planning that I do there. And I do have a cheat sheet. This is another good tip, you guys. And you might've heard it before, but it's so good. Have a snack list cheat sheet, write down all the snacks your family likes, then have a supper cheat sheet. So it's like, beef, chicken, pork, fish, whatever, and write down everything that you like to cook in your family likes, and then have a lunch cheat sheet. And these sit inside of my cabinet. And then when I'm like, still decision fatigue on Sunday night or depressive Sunday night, you're like, I just go to my cheat sheets. And usually there's a kiddo next to me circling and telling me what they want to eat. And I'm like, yay, decision maker, you, (laughs) you tell me what you want. And so then I can fill it in really easy. So those cheat sheets inside your cupboard are like, so easy. But as far as like, meal planning. I don't have an app that I use regularly or any fancy things because I like to just keep it minimal. It's not my favorite thing to do, but those cheat sheets are gold in my family. And then definitely, especially in the summer when everybody's home, I pick a child for every week. So this week it's Rosalind. She helps me with all the food prep because I want her to learn how to do it as well. Mm. And so she's the one influencing what the decisions are. And it's great because I don't have to make decisions like, yay, it's Rosalind week. What do you want to eat? And extra help. That's awesome. And extra help. Yep. My husband every once in a while <laughs> will say like, cause he's a meat and meat guy. You know, there's meat and potatoes. Nicholas is meat and meat. Like give me meat and meat. So every once in a while, if I try too many soups, he's like, excuse me, can I be on food week? <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. 
So for Caleb and I, when I do meal planning, we literally choose two meals for the whole week because the lifestyle we have right now, we're often doing dinner with friends or doing like a potluck or, you know, going out to eat. And love it. we also eat leftovers during the week. We snack a lot for lunch. Caleb, honestly, he doesn't eat lunch many days. He's a software developer and just gets in the flow. And so I'm curious for a family of four, how many meals are you planning each week? I'm sure it looks much different. So that depends on the week too, if we're like at a bunch of games, because all the kids are in things too. So like a concession stand, I will actually write down, this will be concession stand night. (laughs) Like write that down. Um, We try to plan in our family system that I want the kids to sit at our dining room table six times every week. Now, those six times, some of them might be breakfast times or lunch times, depending on the season. Or it might be all supper, but it's very important for me to see their faces at our dining room table. That's part mm-hmm. of my family system. And so for us, that's what it looks like. And I tell them every time, again, part of the legacy I want to leave behind when they all sit down and I get stared on like, hey, do you guys know what my favorite time of the day is? And they roll their eyes like, yes, mom. It's when we're all sitting here. I'm like, okay, I just wanted you to know. And then 10 minutes later, everybody's gone. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Those 10 minutes are really great though. <laughs> but they are, they are. And that's where they open up. So that's what it looks like in this season. But I am discovering as my two oldest are really into things, a seventh grader and a sophomore, that I may have to narrow that to four times a week. Because otherwise I put too much stress on myself to get the six in. And then it's no fun for everybody because mom is just grumpy. Mm-hmm. So maybe I just do four times for this season. Yeah. I love that you brought up the meaning behind food and the purpose behind it is not necessarily like, okay, let's just feed everybody, even though you have the mentality of like eat to live. It's something we all got to do, but Mm -hmm. it, the deeper purpose and like the legacy is the word that you used that happens Mm -hmm. around food. It naturally just brings people together within your house or, you know, friends, family outside of your house too. And so thinking about the intention or like the purpose behind what do you want your food system Mm -hmm. to be like, like, what do you want it, the benefits, what do you want to get from it? Is it really just Mm -hmm. like, how can everybody be fed and that's it? Or could it be something that's a little bit more fun and a little bit more intentional? And so I love that you brought up that dimension of it too. Because I mean, look how far food has come in the last 10 years. There's some really cool entrepreneur jobs in food. How do you know that one of your kiddos or your spouse is not the next big thing for food? Mm -hmm. So I try to involve them in the food too, so I can pick up on things. Like I have one that loves to bake, terrible at cleanup, but loves to bake. So I'm like, (laughs) all right, we're going to embrace this. So she's in charge of snack time frequently because she wants to try something new. Um, And then also like within that food thing too, if you want to connect to your teenager, You just feed them in the kitchen and sit next to them. Don't sit eye to eye, sit next to them. And I promise you, especially the boys, they will eventually open up if you are feeding them meat and good stuff. Like they're like, I mean, they may not say thanks, mom. That would be, you know, a little bit of a stretch right now in my stage, but he will like open up. And so feed your kids and sit next to them and slow down and they will open up. I swear it's got to be some scientific something. That's just my mom science, but man, that works to have your family open up to you. Such a good parenting hack. The food Mm -hmm. is the secret. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And it doesn't have to be fancy. Again, you could still like take the wrapper off of the bottom cookie, but sit next to them and they'll be like, hmm. Yeah. So with food systems, do you see people making any specific mistakes when it comes to creating that food system or like traps that Mm -hmm. people might easily fall into? 
Well, I have a feeling a lot of the people that listen to your podcast are probably overachievers and we love systems. So we're like, Mm -hmm. we're going to do it from here, from step one to step 10. I would just recommend you try things at 80%. Do the program, the latest thing, the latest way you're going to feed your family at 80%. Allow yourself 20% to work uniquely for your family. Because if we do the 100%, we end up getting frustrated and bail out about after six weeks is what is been our pattern when I've been coaching and stuff. So I say, try it for six weeks. Try 80% of what I'm telling you. And then after the six weeks, you can completely abandon ship or just make some adjustments. But when you're taking something on new, especially if you've had a family diagnosis where things drastically have to change for your food, like diabetic, or we need to lose weight, or we need to just get healthy, like just try the program permission to do it at 80%, try it for at least six weeks, and then adjust for your family needs. Find out what that looks like. And it's always going to be changing too. Cause like you said, kids will develop different preferences or then they'll join sports and want to bulk up or your season of life will change and you'll be on the road or something like that. I have a fun hat too. Speaking of kids and their food preferences, again, the tally mark, one of my favorite things, they have to try something and they have to take so many bites for their age. That didn't work for us because then we all had to sit there for a family six for the kindergartner. That was like, Oh my gosh, six bites in. So what we do is they have to tally something new that they tried and they have to try that new thing 10 times before they can officially say, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. And if you say, I don't like it, then you have to pick up the table. Like we're kind of stiff on that one. You just eat what's in front of you. You don't have to eat all of it, but you have to eat what's in front of you. And if you don't, then you pick up the table or not if you don't eat it. But if you say, I don't like it yet, but after 10 tallies, which by the way, they get bored after about four tallies and they're like, fine, mm-hmm. I guess I will eat green beans. But that's been a really good like little family system hack that has worked for food because it allows me to like, hey, you got to keep trying it. Mm -hmm. So do you have a little like book at your table where you're tallying all these foods for each kid? No, because that would be way too much work. It is a little index card on the fridge and a sibling always fills it out for him. Like, mom, Ah. she had this two times. So (laughs) it's more like that or make the kiddo like, hey, go tally that that you said you don't like it or whatever, or at least this is your first time trying it. Go tally it on the fridge and they do that. That's awesome. Oh, so many yeah. fun hacks. Uh, <laughs> we don't have kids yet, but I feel like you've just given me so many ideas Good. for things to try when it comes to food systems because yes. it's definitely going to change. Our two meals a week system is not going to last for very long. Well, well, but again, permission, it may, you may be like, sweet, we're just going to increase it to three. That seems to work for us. I just love the beauty of make sure, especially with your food system, because it does take up a lot of space in your life that you have something that works for you. Don't keep wedging yourself into someone else's plan. If you're like, this is stressing me out, a little permission, dial it back Mm -hmm. to what might work for your new phase. Yeah. Awesome. This was super helpful. I do want to end on a question that I'm just curious because I feel like you have so much wisdom when it comes to business ownership and especially being a creative entrepreneur through and through and being the type of person who's multi-passionate. I'm curious, what do you see as something that you think creative entrepreneurs need to hear and believe right now? Ooh, oh, that's a great question. Um, there's never, ever been a better time to try anything. There's a course, there's a product, there's a coach, there's a, like, you could try everything. My advice would be if you are multi-passionate, don't shoot out of the gate at 100%. Try it again at that 1%. So do the one Google search or the one email or the one free course for three days. Just consume your newest passion at like 1% or that would probably be more like, you know, 60 to 80%. Then 
go back within yourself and go, okay, where would this fit? And here's the one question. Whenever you're doing anything new, as many times as possible, ask, hey, uh, how many hours do you figure this will be? Like I always, when I'm taking any course or coaching, I say like, can you just tell me the amount of hours this would take to complete this? Because they like to make that a little bit fuzzy because it, you know, might get them to buy. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what you said, what, 40 hours? Yes. If you want to hit the top level, I'm like, okay, that's wonderful. I can't do the 40 hours. So what would 10 hours look like? Or maybe just four hours. So I would say if you're multi-passionate, approach it at a percentage that's appropriate for right now for your stage of life. And then also like, don't be afraid to ask how many hours will this take? And then look at your priority list. Like, Mm -hmm. does this, so for me, like, does this allow me to serve God well? Does this allow me to be an awesome wife? Does this allow me to show up for my kiddos? So I go back to my priority list, but don't be afraid to mess around with the percentages of what you take on. Yeah. I think having filters for your decisions is super important. And oftentimes, I mean, I'm multi-passionate too, and I love new ideas right out the gate. But once I do get into them, I feel like everything loses that excitement and appeal after you get into the work. And so your 1% advice is so good because oftentimes what you thought would be great turns out, you know Mm -hmm. what? I only like that when it's a hobby. (laughs) Once I get paid for it, I hate it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm out. And there's permission to pick it back up. You could set it down and then feel more passionate about it years later or just weeks later. You could pick it back up. Turns out you'll never run out of ideas, creatives, right? Oh, for sure. Never run out. And so permission to let it down and then pick it up later if you need to. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Rebecca. I have loved this conversation and getting to know you a little bit over the past couple of weeks. So where can everyone connect with you after the show? Okay, well, you guys, if you want a really cool experience, speaking of creatives, and you want to design your own purse, go to designyourownpurse.com, and my team and I will sew up something awesome that you designed. Or if you'd like to have more of these systems in your life, and you just need to like, wait, I need to consume these. Here's the truth. Remember I told you we time everything? I have a digital course. It's called the Encourager Academy. It's six hours, and you could do it, and all the videos are like 25 to 30 minutes. They come with a nice, neat little worksheet that you fill out for your family that's unique to your experience, and then you can implement it right away. And the whole consumption of the whole program is about six hours. So if you really wanted a Saturday or a whole week, you can do that. And to get to that or to listen to my podcast, The Encourager, where I give all these tips that we're currently talking about and have awesome guests like Jade on, go to theencouragerpodcast.com and the Academy is on one of those tabs at the top. Perfect. We will link all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much again, Rebecca. Thank you, Jade. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Business Minimalist Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd be so grateful if you'd rate it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening today. Your rating and review will help more small business owners discover helpful episodes each week. Don't forget to check out the show notes for the tools and resources mentioned in today's episode, because good ideas don't grow businesses, action does. And if you want more Business Minimalist tips and resources, head on over to Instagram and follow me at jadeboyd.co. I'd love to hear what you took away from today's episode. I'll see you next time on the Business Minimalist Podcast. The number of women burning out is at an all-time high right now, and I'm on a mission to change that. If you're a service provider who's feeling overwhelmed, overworked, and underpaid, don't let another year go by staying stuck. The Business Edit is a 12-month group coaching program that helps you declutter your business from top to bottom so that you can have shorter to-do lists, a clear strategy to scale, and know exactly what to focus on each week to drive results in your business. 
You'll end the year with the business that you've been dreaming of building, one that gives you your life back and pays you more than you've ever made before. In the program, you'll follow my signature five-step method for scaling your service-based business. You'll get business minimalist strategy, marketing, systems, and productivity roadmaps that are simple to understand and easy to implement, plus 12 months of customized one-on-one coaching to help you every step of the way. Join me inside the business edit at www.jadeboyd.co backslash coaching and get my step-by-step blueprint with everything you need to build your dream business in 2024. Now back to the show.